Do you recall the first time that you were disappointed by another person? You think back to your childhood. Maybe when you were a child, you felt like you couldn't ever really impress your mother or your father. Or maybe you weren't that gifted athletically and you were always picked last whenever teams were being selected to play a sport. Maybe you were bullied or made fun of when you were young. But then as you grew older, you realized that, that disappointments and, and pain with relationships did not end with childhood. That even as you entered into adulthood, you realized that some very strong realities such as pride, envy, gossip, abuse, betrayal, neglect, misunderstanding... These all threaten our relationships that we hold so dear to our hearts. And we've come to grips with the truth that we are a broken people living in a broken world. And our relationships are no exception to that truth. And yet, our God in his infinite wisdom created us for relationships. And we know this because we have a God who himself enjoys relationships. God is community. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit. All three are eternal and coexistent. And yet, this beautiful, eternal God, this triune God, has been enjoying relationship, enjoying community. And so with the Trinity, you see the only perfect and holy community in existence. And so you see the Father, Son, and Spirit enjoying a glorious, holy, perfect, satisfying relationship. And so we who reflect God as his image bearers were made to reflect the same reality that we were made for community. We also yearn for and beyond that at our deepest part of who we are as humans, we need relationships. We need them. We would die without them. And so in our desire for healthy and holy and satisfying relationships, first of all with God and then second of all with other people, we realize that on this side of heaven, under the sun, that our relationships disappoint us. Our, our friendships will leave us oftentimes wanting. But we have a God who wants us to know him because that is the most important relationship that God has made us to know him and to enjoy him forever. And that leads to pure joy. The book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying the last few weeks very poetically and quite vividly describes how this world and we ourselves in it are broken. That there is corruption. This world is fallen and so our existence under the sun is unfortunately filled with pain and disappointment. And so we have been asking the question, is it all meaningless? And the message of Ecclesiastes that the Spirit of God revealed to the author of this book, King Solomon, 3,000 years ago, all of it pointing to Messiah, the point of Ecclesiastes is this, life is meaningless without 
Jesus. Life will not be fulfilling without Jesus. At every turn that we look for meaning and joy and purpose under the sun, it leaves us empty and wanting. And the reason is that we must look beyond the sun. We must look to Jesus because only with him do we find true hope and freedom and joy and our true purpose. And so life is just full overflowing with joy and with true meaning and purpose, but only found in Jesus. And then what happens is everything else begins to have greater meaning. So even our relationships experience healing and are more holy and more satisfying when Jesus is central in our lives. Ecclesiastes 4 describes the truth about our relationships under the sun that they are broken, they are tainted by sin. And so this chapter is kind of heavy, as a lot of the book tends to be in Ecclesiastes, but it's very honest about the nature of our relationships. And so let's read Ecclesiastes, be in chapter 4, read verses 1 through 16. So the entire chapter, it'll be on your screens in just a moment as well. Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who had already were dead were more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw all the toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is all alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth, was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet, those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity in striving after wind. This is a very real picture of what our relationships look like under the sun in our broken world. So for us to really understand and make sense of this chapter, 
we have to see that this is pointing to and fulfilled in Messiah, in Jesus. And so let me give you the main idea. Here's the primary truth from this chapter. That pain in our relationships is meant to drive us to Jesus. So pain and frustration and disappointment that all of us experience in our various relationships, that very pain is designed by God to drive us to be closer and to know Jesus. Jesus who is the only one who really can restore our souls and heal our relationships and really give meaning to our relationships. It's all pointing to him. So here's a plan as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. First, we're going to see a characteristic described in each section of this chapter that describes our relationships under the sun. Then we're going to see how Jesus came and he overcame that painful reality. And then lastly, we're going to see, well, how do we respond? So in light of this frustration and in light of Jesus' is coming, how do we as followers of Jesus respond to this reality in the world. So number one, relationships under the sun are filled with oppression. The truth is, and the Bible here confirms it, and our experience just as much confirms it, God's word here reveals that our relationships under the sun are marked by oppression. Verses 1, 2, and 3 describe this, how people oppress one another. Solomon says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. See, oppression in the Old Testament is described as seeking a prophet, but with no regards for the needs and the rights and the value of people. And so oppression devalues a person, and it reduces an image bearer of God it reduces a person to being a commodity. Nothing more than a product that can be used to make a profit. Oppression is a denial of justice. It uses people and it abuses them. And so just like in ancient Israel, today there are people that are suffering oppression. I mean, there are countless dictators on this planet. There are countless just corrupted governments and gangs and drug cartels and terrorists that oppress people. They steal, they abuse power, they enslave women and children and commit all kinds of atrocities and violence to other people simply to gain a profit. And the reality is Abu Dhabi is no exception. There are, I could not begin to count how many people in this city that live under oppression. And they know what it's like. And oppression, described in verses 2 and 3, says that it can be at times so heavy and so miserable that it says that people would rather be dead. And you're better off not even being born than to live under the weight of oppression. And many of you can relate to this. You've experienced the pain. You have been mistreated. You have been treated unfairly. A lack of justice has been enacted towards you. 
Maybe you really have suffered abuse. Maybe your heart hurts so bad every time you read the news because you see the corruption in your home country. It just, it's painful to see where, where your home is going because it's led by corrupt people who don't care about the people. They just care about their own pockets. And it hurts. Say, that's not fair. It's oppressive. It's a lack of justice. Maybe right now you, you are in a relationship that maybe you're suffering silently, but you are genuinely experiencing abuse and you feel oppressed. In the middle of your anguish here this morning, you have to, with all of your heart, know and believe that Jesus sees your pain. He's not blind. He sees, he knows, and he cares. And Jesus is entering into your suffering. He is with you. And he has promised to never forsake you, that he will never fail you. Matthew 9.36 says that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. If there's one person knows injustice, who has suffered oppression, it's Jesus. Because Jesus suffered the greatest injustice in the history of humanity. When he died on the cross, what you had was a man who was fully God, who never sinned, who loved others, who healed, who sacrificed, who had done no wrong, and then he was crucified. So that he could pay for your guilt and your shame and for mine. He did not deserve that. We deserve to be punished and condemned. And yet Jesus experienced the full wrath of a holy God. His anger was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That is not fair. It's mercy. It's grace. And it is God upholding his justice because we broke his laws. We are guilty. A price had to be paid, and Jesus paid it. And so God indeed did uphold justice upon Jesus. If there's someone who knows oppression, it's Jesus. And he was resurrected powerfully on the third day. He is alive today. He has over come and he has promised to uphold justice where every wrong will be made right. There will be no sin that will go unpunished. No oppression that will go unpunished. Either paid for by Christ on the cross or by that sin of eternity burning apart from the love of God. So how do we respond to oppression in the light of the fact that it exists but Jesus came, he paid the price, he's resurrected, he offers hope. How do we respond to oppression? Compassion. This is how we respond. We respond with compassion. 
We need more good Samaritans who are busy mending wounds and helping the hurting. So I would challenge every one of us to ask the Spirit of God to open our eyes. We could honestly look around where we live, where we work, where do we see injustice and oppression? Where are those that are in need? And where can we honestly help? Because I believe if we ask God to open our eyes that we will be more sensitive. We will see those that are suffering, those that are hurting. And then God can use us. And when he opens your eyes and you see a need, be courageous and be generous to meet that need, to show compassion. But if you are the one who is suffering from oppression today, you have to entrust your soul to Jesus and trust that he will in his time deliver you. He knows your pain and he is close to the brokenhearted. Number two, relationships under the sun are filled with envy. So number one, they're filled with oppression, but number two, with envy. Verses 4 through 6 describe the reality that in, in our fallen condition, this is, this is a reality. It says, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. He says, all of the hard working to get ahead at work, he says, a root of it is envy. So in the human heart, there's a propensity, there's an inclination to always want more. That's how we are. We're fallen, so we always want more. We never have enough. And so Solomon here is saying that the primary motive for working hard and making money is envy. Because we see what others have, what they're enjoying, and then we want it. And we kill ourselves with overtime to get ahead at work to make more and he says, this is vanity. It is striving after the wind. But then he says, on the other side, laziness is not a solution either. He says, so the problem is in our heart that there is envy. And he says, this being a workaholic, working hard isn't going to help fix the problem. But on the other side, he says, being lazy won't help you either. He says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So with your folded hands, you can't work. You're not able to. So this is folded hands is a picture of being lazy. And there's a rather grotesque image here of a lazy person with their hands clasped, like gnawing at their knuckles. It's like a slow suicide. It's, it's, it's a pretty graphic picture. But it's saying that laziness is going to take you nowhere good. It takes you to destruction. So he's saying that working hard or being lazy is not necessarily going to solve the problem in your heart of envy. It won't solve it. All of us, if we're honest, on some level, some degree, are like our father, mother, Adam, and Eve. We're not content. We want more. Not content with who we are and what we have. So by definition, sin is always self-centered. Sin is never other-centered. 
Sin is never God-centered. Sin is always self-centered. So do you ever find yourself envious of other people? Do you want more than what God has given to you? With all of your heart, do you truly believe that God will take care of you? And that Jesus really is enough. You see, Satan is so good. He's so sly. He lies to us. He'll say, just a little bit more. Or he'll say, if you just get that promotion, if you, if you finally get married, or if your husband finally changes, or if your wife will just lose a few more kilos, then I'd be happy. If I just had that, I'd be good. That's all I'm asking. No, you wouldn't. You would want more. You wouldn't be satisfied. It's never going to be enough because we're trying to find joy and meaning under the sun. See, Jesus came into this broken world in order to liberate our souls from this bondage, this slavery of envy, of always wanting more. By dying on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty, and now he offers us new life, new hearts, new desires. And when you're trusting in Jesus alone to save you, his spirit will come into you. He will give you a new heart that will be content in him. And when your soul is content in Jesus, then he will give you the strength to be content with the life he's given to you and what you look like and what you sound like and where you work and where you are on a socioeconomic status according to the world standards. All of that doesn't matter. We belong to Christ, and that is our eternal destiny. And so having souls that treasure Jesus and are really trusting Jesus leads to contentment. So that is how you respond. How do you respond to envy? Contentment. It's the only way. Enjoying Jesus, reading his word. Talk to him throughout your day and expressing your love to him. Listening to even like worship music throughout your day. Just being in a constant state of listening to his word and talking to him, experiencing his presence will help us to fight off envy and to be content with who we are. Let me ask you two key questions that's here on the screen to ponder this week about contentment. And in our home groups, we'll talk about them this week as well. The first question here is, do you love God enough to be content? And then, do you love others enough not to covet? It's easy to say yes, but for real, before God, do we love him enough to be content? And do we love others enough not to covet? Verse 6 here reveals what it looks to be content in God. He says, better is a handful of quietness, so one handful of quietness, than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. 
So two hands full of the stuff of this world gets really heavy. And it won't satisfy anyway. And so carrying the weight of maintaining the appearances, carrying the weight of I have to have the newest and most impressive car, carrying the weight of I have to have these amazing vacations, carrying the weight of I have to have the big bank account, the big villa, the, carrying the weight, it's, it's exhausting and it will just crush you. But instead, he says you can have one handful of quietness. One hand of just peaceful contentment with the other hand free to help those that are oppressed, to serve others. That's a life that's reflecting the glory of God. Number three, relationships under the sun are filled with isolation. So we have envy, but now we also have isolation. Verses 7 through 12, that's the theme here of being Alone. So in this broken world, we can all feel alone. Now, now, the context in these verses 7 through 12 is how greed, so pursuing a lot of money, material gain, greed leads to isolation and being alone. So the pictures of someone who's working, toiling, working, 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 makes a lot of money, but has no friends and no family. They're all alone. He says, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other. He has no other. No son or brother. And yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? So for him, for Solomon here, and what's described here is this greed is what led to loneliness. Maybe for you it's different. Maybe you've had a different set of circumstances. But the principle of these verses is still the same. That life under the sun can be lonely. Do you ever feel alone? Isolation is a result of the fall. In the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, there was no isolation. Adam and Eve had perfect unity. God was right there in the garden with them. They would never feel alone. There was no such thing as isolation in the garden. But under the sun now, we're outside of the Garden of Eden, so therefore now there is isolation. Sin divides. Sin breaks relationship. Sin isolates. That's what sin does. But God didn't make us to be alone he made us to know him and to have other friendships that are just brimming with joy and that are holy and good. See, Jesus came into this world to take away our sin and to tear away at the wall that separates us from God. You see, the whole point of the gospel is reconciliation so that we can be brought close, be restored back to God, to know him. So that's why we're called Ministers of, of reconciliation. And so Jesus came so that we can have our sin removed and therefore be free to be restored and be close to God and then to one another. So are you struggling with loneliness? If you belong to Jesus, then you are never alone. You have him first and foremost. But you have a faith family. Every disciple of Jesus 
belongs to the people of God. And so look around the room. You're not alone. A follower of Jesus should never be alone. But are you trying to? Are you trying to follow him on your own? You can't. You weren't made for that. You are made to follow him in community. So what you see in verses 9 through 12. He says, two are better than one. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. He says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we need one another so we can become who God is calling us to be. But let's just be honest. Let's take off the masks and let's just be real with each other here for a moment. That's easier said than done. Because people will hurt you, including in this room. We're sinners. We'll disappoint one another. We'll let each other down. Maybe you've been really hurt, and so you're afraid of getting close to other people because then you might be betrayed or gossiped about, or it, it may be painful again. And so you're, you, don't, you don't really want to connect because that's scary or painful. If there's one person who knows what it feels like to be alone, it's Jesus. When he had anguish, when he was praying and bleeding blood, when he was about to be betrayed and then crucified, his closest friends weren't there for him. They were asleep. He needed prayer and encouragement, and his friends were asleep. And then when he's being tried in his kangaroo court, his closest friend Peter denies him. And they're hanging on the cross. Where were his friends? Only John was there next to his mother. Everyone else was gone. And then even the father turned his back on him because in that moment, Jesus was experiencing sin. We, our sin was being poured upon him. So our guilt and our condemnation was being poured upon Jesus. And so even the father had to separate. So Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment when Jesus was becoming sin, who knew no sin, was completely alone. He died alone. And yet he resurrected powerfully. He's alive today and he knows about isolation and he overcame it. He's torn down the wall. So now we can be close to God and we can enjoy other people. So if you're struggling with believing this, what I can tell you is pray and ask God to help you truly believe in your pain. Believe Jesus that you need other people. This takes a lot of faith though. Because our response, isolation, is receive others. We must respond by receiving other people. This requires humility and forgiveness, letting go of bitterness. This is not an easy thing to do sometimes. And yet we're called to do it. This is a high calling. But we do this together. And this is the way when we receive others into our lives to speak truth to us. This is how we change we can't change on our own. We change through other relationships around the word.
which is why our church is organized with high accountability and highly relational approach to life and ministry because we need it. Lastly, as we wrap up, number four, disappointment. So our relationships under the sun are filled with disappointment. There's a story of two kings here, verses 13 through 16, at the end of this section. The first king was old, arrogant, listened to no one. The second king was a younger king who had been poor, and he rose to prominence, even to being the king himself. And so this was like the American dream, rags to riches. He went from being poor all the way to the top. Now he's the king. But in the end, it says, yet those who come after him will not rejoice in him. Surely this is vanity and striving after wind. And so no matter how much success we have in our relationships, he lets many people in. And in the end, he says, it's empty. We're going to experience disappointment. And yet, we're called to pursue relationships for the glory of God. So maybe you're thinking here today, why bother with people? I can just have my casual friendships, keep everyone on the surface, keep everyone at arm's distance, never open up, never share my struggles, handle it on my own. That way no one can ever hurt me. I don't, I don't want to engage like that, Pastor. That's too scary or painful for me. God can help you. He can heal you and restore you. How do you respond to disappointments in relationships? You depend on Jesus. This is what we do. We don't just say it, we do it. We depend on Jesus. We look to Jesus. We take his hand and we depend on him. Jesus told us, in this world you will have tribulation. But then he also cried out, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So honestly, depending upon him will lead you to have more healthy, reconciled relationships with other people. Pain in our relationships is designed to drive us closer to Jesus. So what are we? We are imperfect people who are looking to a perfect Savior. And we do this together. And we are changed in the process, and we can display his glory to reach this remarkable city for our Savior. It starts here with this church. And I believe that God has amazing plans to use this faith family to display his glory and to see more lives changed. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you would speak to us through your word and through your spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can see that you want us to be one, united people. A people who know you and who are excited and zealous to make you known. Help us to be a church that has healthy and meaningful relationships that we so desperately need so that we can be healthy to accomplish your mission. So we praise you, we thank you, we ask for your blessing for we need you and your leading. We pray in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.